Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG Treasure Trove presented by Valor Studios. For those of you joining us for the first time, Valor Studios is a TTRPG content creation community who loves sharing our stories with the world. As I said, I'm Ryan Howard and this is Roland Bones. Uh, this is a uh, role-playing game talk show where I like to bring on guests from the tabletop role-playing world and have conversations about just what they're doing in the space, the adventures they're writing, the games they're running, all that good stuff. If you guys like what you're seeing tonight, definitely hit the subscribe button down here below my face. And uh, you can find out more information about what Valor Studios as a whole has going on at uh, ValorStudios.com, which you'll see a link for here in the chat. Uh, you can also join the Discord, which you'll also see here in the chat in just a little bit. And you can find any content that you might have missed live or that you want to see again just because, I don't know, you love us that much over on the YouTube page, which, again, you'll see a link for here in chat. And those of us who are, uh, you know, watching this on YouTube, thank you so much for supporting us this way. Uh, definitely like and subscribe, share this video with your friends, and leave a little comment for us telling us, uh, you know, what you liked about the show or... Uh, topics that you found interesting or your contributions to the discussion down there in the comment section. Uh, we love all of your feedback, and for those of you joining us live, you can you know give us your feedback or give us questions that you might have in real time, and we will get to them as we see them. Uh, so if you want to participate, that's definitely one of the best ways to do it here. So uh, without further ado, tonight we are going to be talking all about Tales of Valor, Red Sky, Dark Sun with uh, my producer, James Kurzweil, and Manda Manda, both of whom are cast members on the show. And, uh, you know, James is uh, going to be GMing. So guys, welcome. Welcome to Rolling Bones. Hey, good to be here. Hey. Good to be here. Absolutely. It's uh, it's always fun to have James on the other side of the camera. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be interesting feeding questions to you, uh, Ryan. As normally, I'm I'm behind the curtain and no one ever sees me. Um, so it'll be kind of cool to uh, to be able to see the chat uh, while I'm looking at uh, at chat and at both of your wonderful faces. So glad uh, to be on the show. So glad to be talking about Red Sky, Dark Sun, and uh, and and getting to be interviewed by you, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. Now, James, you have uh, done this before. You're punching your two timers card here, uh, but Manda. This is your first time on Rollin' Bones, so uh, we've got a special thing that we do every time someone comes on. We've got questions everyone has to be asked when they come on for the first time. 
So uh, let's begin here at the beginning. Amanda, how did you get into RPGs as a whole? Um, I started playing RPGs about 11 years ago, and uh, the guy I was actually dating at the time uh, was invited to a campaign, a Pathfinder first edition campaign, and he invited me along, and I didn't think much of it, and then started playing, and it was the rest is history, as they'd say. And so I got one good thing out of that relationship, which was RPGs. Gotcha. Pathfinder is a hell of a game to start with your first time. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I mean, it was my only foyer into it at the time. So I just thought all RPGs were complicated like that. <laughs> but it actually made learning um, when I started learning um, 3.5 and 5th edition, it made it a lot easier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can you can pretty much only go easier from from that side of things. So, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely that talk about stepping into the fire your, your first time around. Someone's teaching you Pathfinder. So, yeah, I got to start walking on cinders and like hot <laughs> ash as I started with with uh, 3.5 and then went to 4E and 5E. And then okay. I, I jumped into Pathfinder 2E recently. Oh, my gosh. Like, the crunch in Pathfinder versus 5e blew my mind. My players were like, what is all this stuff? Uh, <laughs> it's definitely, it. it's cool, though. Like, it gives you a lot of, like, different uh, things that you can do with your character, which I, I really enjoy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, the, uh, the next question that we have for you, of the game systems that you've played, what's been kind of your favorite? Ooh, if I could morph like Pathfinder first edition, like the crunch of that with um D and D fifth edition, that would be like my dream system. Um, but honestly, I'm gonna have to go with Pathfinder. Um it I, I just I have found that I'm a person who loves the crunch. I love the diversity. I love being able to choose from a spell list that has like thousands of spells. And I know that's not for everybody. And I respect totally what like fifth edition did. Um, but for me, I love the complexity to it. And character building is one of my favorite parts. So being able to just have such diversity in a character is that's really important to me. So I think I will always love uh, first edition the best for Pathfinder. Gotcha. Yeah. It's it's been a while since we've had someone on who really enjoys the crunch aspect, so that's that's cool to hear. Now, um, every time we we play the game, you know, we we approach things with our own kind of unique perspective, our own unique style. When it comes to how we like to play the game, you've already talked a little bit about your love of crunch. But when it comes to actually playing your characters and uh, then when it comes to running games, how would you describe your play style? Um, with with the characters that I play, um, every character is kind of like a tiny part of me. And so it's I would I liken it to like an aspect of my personality. So um, it's all Every character is just, you could probably take all the, my different characters I've played and it's just like, this is a facet and this is a facet. So I play it just kind of very naturally in that way when I think about it that way. And then I suppose when I'm running a game, it's, it's pretty similar. Um, I like to make it almost different, maybe sometimes a little bit opposite. So 
it's more of an opportunity for me to act, you know, because you're playing so many different NPCs when you're running a game that it kind of increases your range, so to speak. So, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And just to address something that I see in chat, uh, Floop has asked a question about Sharknado RPGs. <laughs> There's a man out there for you. His name is Carl Kiesler. Yep. His game is Trailer Park Shark Attack. It's a Savage Worlds game. Uh, Candace knows him. She can tell you a little bit more about uh, what what he's got going on. But Carl Kiesler's your man, Floop. That's so cool. I had no idea that existed. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Car Carl's imagination is like a, a portal to the dimension of chaos. Is, is the only way I know how to describe it. He's been on the show a couple times. He He's amazing. That's awesome. Heck yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't... It's got to be very interesting, like, dealing with a Sharknado. Like, how do you combat that? How do you... That's... We might need to... We might need to experience... Uh, not experience, but experiment with this. Mm, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of running and praying. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> I like Optimus Subprime's like, do you even fight it or do you join it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, anyone who comes on a show like this or, you know, participates in something like Red Sky, Dark Sun, we do this out of love and that love comes from fond memories that we have of role-playing games. So, Amanda, if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Oh, wow. That's a that's a big question. That's 11 years of experience that I have oh, to yeah. go through very, very suddenly. Um, 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 I would say if I had to just pick one right off the top of my head, um, I would say my very original experience, um, when I was playing Pathfinder for the first time and I played um, an elf ranger named Josana and just I had and I had a horse I didn't I chose instead of choosing a familiar I chose a horse because I had no idea like I chose a mount and uh, just that that whole experience was so memorable just that that beginning kind of segue into learning RPGs and I can't pick a specific one but just those early memories where I had no idea what anything meant and I was asking a million questions and I'm like you know you know what's a basilisk like I don't know you know what is what's this what's that like it's just more of an innocent time you know it's like Manda <laughs> running down the hobbit trail going I'm going on an adventure you know right <laughs> yeah it yes it's very much like that. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I remember the first time I played the game, uh, my GM started by describing a Tarrasque to me. He goes, have you ever heard of a Tarrasque? And I say, uh, no, no, what is that? And he goes, all right. And he just kind of launches into this eloquent explanation of what a Tarrasque is. <laughs> and he w he was laying groundwork for stuff that we never got to because that game only lasted three sessions. But he was like, you know, this this is what a Tarrasque is. Um, 
he's like, it's like a dragon, but bigger with no wings. And when they show up, it's usually signifies the end of an age. And it was stuff like that. And I was just like, oh, my God, what are we doing here? <laughs> right. It's such there's such an innocence to it. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. Oh. oh, yeah. Now, we've got one more introductory question before we uh, loop James back in here. It, it's always fun when you have one person who's never been on and one person who's been on before, because first few minutes are always just ignoring the person who's been on before. <laughs> it is Sorry, all James. good. No, it's all good. But this question, the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be, Amanda. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Um, I, so I'm really into Pokemon mm -hmm. and I would probably get, I'd like to get like a collage, like an artist rendering of my top favorite Pokemon, like hanging out, like, you know, really cute anime, like chibi style and just like hanging out, like playing D&D, &D, like around a table. So like Haunter, uh, Alakazam, uh, you know, just, I don't know, all playing D&D &D I dig that. That's cool. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I really dig that. That's badass. Yeah. I don't think I ever, I don't think I've known that you've been into Pokemon. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm obsessed and I've that's exclusively what I've been doing um with a lot of my free time is playing Pokemon Go. Uh Brilliant Diamond came out in the fall and then Legends of Arceus just came out I think like a month or two ago and then they just announced the new generation for the end of this year. So rip my social life. <laughs> I actually just got a Switch and I am I'm very excited for the next set. Uh, Pokemon to come out because I, I played it a lot when I was younger just didn't have a Nintendo system and I just got one recently I'm so excited to jump back in yeah it's it's awesome I, I love I don't know I just they're so cute and then I love them <laughs> just for for you guys benefit and then for the benefit of everyone watching I know as much about Pokemon as your dad does <laughs> That's... And uh, and that is universal. Everyone out, everyone watching this, your father specifically, I know as much about Pokemon as he does. <laughs> it's okay. I won't hold it against you. Wait, is is Ryan part of a Pokemon hive mind? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> it's it's one of those things. I'm the right age for Pokemon, but. I was never into it. My parents thought it was stupid, so I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. So oh, it just, no. I, I completely missed the train on Pokemon. Uh, my wife is really into Pokemon, but I've never gotten... Digimon was my jam. I, I loved Digimon growing up so much. Oh, my God. Um, it was way darker than what... Po Maybe that's why. But it was way darker than, like, Pokemon was uh, when I was younger. Just like, oh. Digimon was dope, but I did. I also like Pokemon. I actually have quick Pokemon story, and I'm, I'm I was a terrible kid. I was horrible. So we were at a um, a Christmas get together in a hotel. Like I was like six, maybe. I saw my cousin was playing Pokemon Yellow, and I was like, "Oh my god, what is this? That's so cool!" Um, and I was like, "Oh, can I try?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, sure." And I was like, "Oh, I really want to start a new game. I don't know what I'm doing." He's like, nah, you can't do that, bro. You can't start a new game. And I was like, oh, but I wanna. 
and I told his mom because I'm a dick. <laughs> and his mom's like, you're going to let James start a new file. I All the shit was gone. I didn't know the fuck I was doing. I was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I want to figure this out. And yeah, that he still to this day probably hates my guts for that, which <laughs> was whatever. But uh, yeah, I was horrible. Oh I, now that I know what that did, I'm like, oh, I put a scar on that man's that man's life. Yep. You took hours away from him. Countless. <laughs> he deserved it. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's amazing. <laughs> My villain or origin story. I love it. Ah, nice. So to to loop James back into the, the conversation here, now now that we have that uh kind of out of the out of the way, James, can you give us a little bit of a uh, like a primer, a rundown on what is going to be happening in Red Sky, Dark Sun? Where does the party find themselves? Uh, so what should people expect when they tune into this? So Red Sky, Dark Sun is actually a harken back to before we ever did live streaming. Um, if Hopefully most of you know Tony in chat, uh, Dice Barbarian. He and I... And a bunch, and actually Mascane in chat was there. Uh, if uh, Midnight Zion's in chat, she was there too. And uh, we all played in Waterdeep. And we did, I had two groups going. I had an alpha group and an omega group. And they'd go and like do adventures for this organization known as the Order of Azaleas. And they were like an underground like seed network that would that would basically kind of like work for the government, but not really of Waterdeep. And they'd send the, the heroes on missions. And it lasted for, I want to say, like a year. It was fun. I had a great time. I loved the whole cityscape adventure. And this is going back to those origins of now they're actually working for uh, Force Grey. And the party is, uh, they start out as Greyhand Initiates. And uh, they're going through and trying to uncover um, things that are happening in the city. It's kind of a, a mixture between mystery and... Um, and just like cityscape adventuring. Um, it's only going to be running roughly about 10 to 12 episodes. And um, so we got to kind of like keep things moving quickly as this is kind of just a way to like see if this works. Um, and uh, it's I am super jacked for like everyone's characters. Every We spent uh, quite a bit of time going over and finding out like about everyone's character, you know. Tell me some of your backstory and all that stuff. And it was it was so fun. So jacked. So excited. And uh, Amanda, before Red Sky Dark Sun, what had been your experience playing in Waterdeep? Had you ever been in a campaign where Waterdeep was explored? Were you familiar with it through any of the D&D media? What, what was your kind of exposure to Waterdeep before uh, the beginning of this game? I had not really been exposed as a player, but I DM'd Tyranny of Dragons, which on their journey, they stop in Waterdeep and they're there for a little while. Um, and so they got to explore the town a little and I didn't get to know it as thoroughly as James has, you know, because it wasn't totally set there, but it was enough, uh, there was enough going on in that chapter um, that I did have to kind of figure some things out, you know, look up names of places and come up with NPCs and, um, you know, try to understand the, the guards there and, and the different, um, 
the nuances of everything there. So because a lot of the characters in my campaign that I was running um, were kind of a loner type. They were not familiar with water deep at all. So not only did I have to learn about it, I sort of had to teach their characters about it. So that can be the the tricky part, because like when you're when you're running something that's in the wilderness or that's, you know, in a dungeon or something like that, there's not so much politics. And like you have to think about like what the city guards are doing, what their shifts are, like all the different intricacies of that city. Um, it took a lot of research. Like I spent countless hours looking up and learning about like the uh, the Griffin Cavalry and learning about the open lords and the masked lord or the open lord I should say and the masked lords and uh, all the other like um, uh, factions I guess is the best word to put it uh, put it in about Waterdeep and it's it's been oh it's been so much so much like uh, um, oh what's the website I think it's called uh, is it Forgotten Realms Wikipedia I mm. use that a lot. Um, to help and that that's a huge uh repository of information now to take a brief digression uh manda we just saw a cat attacking the city there behind you <laughs> what's the cat's name All right, tell so us about the cat we're gonna go back to pokemon now so <laughs> his his full name is meowkip so if anyone's <laughs> familiar with mudkip the pokemon like I actually got him when that meme was popular and was like, so I heard you like Mudkips. And <laughs> I got him and I just looked at him and I thought Meowkip. So, but he goes by Kippy. That's his, that's the the short way, but he's Mr. Meowkip. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> he's my son. I, I remember when that meme was popular and I watched a, uh, a one hour video of just two mud kip saying mud and kip back and forth to each other <laughs> yes. because one of my friends told me i had to <laughs> that's amazing that's so great and my cat ronan is in the room right now so we might have a cameo appearance from him if you guys just see a fluffy tail walk across the, the screen <laughs> yep then then ronan has entered that's so cute i love cats now, back to Waterdeep, where I'm sure there are several cats running around in the streets. Uh, my exposure to Waterdeep, I played a heavily modified version of Dragon Heist uh, when I first moved to Nashville. And uh, I loved Waterdeep immediately because I, I was not familiar with it at all. I'd only been playing D&D for a few years at that point. And I kind of immersed myself in the world and kind of read up on, okay, what's going on in Waterdeep? And the thing that I love the most, Waterdeep is, for someone like me who loves noir films, loves gangster films, my one of my favorite movies is Sin City. I like the seedy city by the waterfront where everything is really kind of secretly controlled by gangs. I also love Beholders. And the fact that Xanathar is kind of the big string puller in Waterdeep just made me love everything all the more. Because, you know, Z Xanathar is like the uh, the kind of prime example of a beholder in, in the D&D &D mm -hmm. world. So all of that 
really made me love and appreciate the the crazy world of Waterdeep and all of the just insane stuff that happens around it. You know, you've got the yawning portal where, you know, just dimensional portals will open up every now and then. You have a whole uh, dungeon underneath Waterdeep where this crazy wizard has all this stuff set up. You've got that government system that, that James alluded to where there's one maskless lord, but all the other lords are completely anonymous. You have all these houses mm -hmm. that are... Uh, vying for for influence and control in Waterdeep, it, it's it's there's a amazing. lot of lore there. There's yeah. so yeah. much lore to dive through. It's mm -hmm. it's crazy. Um, yeah, it's 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 so much, but at the same time, it's so exciting because I wanted to try and get as much of that as I could and become familiar with it, and then put it in my notes. So that I can pull on things when I need to and like draw that lore out and and spoon feed it to the players like, yes, here's this. Here's this little tidbit of information. Um, I'm so excited uh, for that. And uh, I'm so excited to have Manda back on one of our shows. Ah, oh, it's gonna, it's so much fun. Um, it's, ah, it's amazing. I'm so excited to be a part of a campaign that is exclusively in one place because I think historically I've played in campaigns where there's we're in the wild or we're traveling or there's movement or whatever. Um, and it's super exciting to just be in one town um, and you can learn the lore just like as if we really lived there and yep. learn the nuances of it. And that's for me personally, that's something totally new in a campaign. So I'm really excited to you know hone in on that and and my character i'm playing is actually you know has a lot of roots in the town so that's even different because i'm used to playing you know loners and outsiders so now i'm playing uh essentially a noble from a merchant family from Waterdeep, and so i really have to it makes me think differently than i'm used to yeah, while we're on that subject, uh, go ahead, give us a, a quick rundown of who you're playing in the game. Yeah, I uh, so I'm playing uh, Jade Marshstone. Um, they are uh, a human monk. So this is actually my first time playing a monk in any game system that I've ever played. Um, and uh, they pronouns are, are they, them, or she, her. Um, but they're kind of they're very spiritual uh coming from a, a wealthy merchant family um and to much to the dismay of their parents is uh actually living at the monastery in Waterdeep, um which i believe is called the two hands and mm -hmm. um i don't know how much i don't know how much more backstory i should give at this point but um, that's all I'll say for now, but there were a series of interesting things that happened to Jade that kind of turned their mind towards living the monk lifestyle and knowing that there is more to life than money and, you know, conning people or material goods. Um, and they went so far as to shave their entire head. And uh, l tries to live a more, a life closer to the spiritual realm. 
and uh, forgoing any any kind of I don't know uh, material stuff, I guess. Yeah, I I love everyone has such a interesting take on their characters and like with you, you know, leaving your noble your noble heritage behind and like joining the monastery and uh, and doing that like it creates so much drama that can be introduced into the story and with the characters and your family. And uh, that's something like as a GM, it makes it a lot easier to tie in characters, backstories like that. When we have those juicy like bits that we can kind of pull off when we need to and be like, Oh yes, let's explore this. Let's, let's see more about this. Let's find out who these people are and, uh, and draw them into be, uh, uh, draw them into the other characters at the table, the other players. Um, and we have uh, uh, Candace the Magnificent is playing uh, Zora, uh, Bloodfang. We've got uh, uh, Taylor Von... Uh, Taylor, I am totally going to mispronounce your last name. I'm so sorry. Uh, Taylor Von Billionaire, uh, which is... That is not <laughs> how you pronounce it. Um, and uh, she's playing Kivit, a, a gnome artificer. We have uh, Tony, Mr. Dice Barbarian, in chat, um, playing Arid, a um, a paladin, a uh, uh, half-elf paladin, I believe. And then uh, Kai in chat, Mr. Maskane, is playing uh, Antrell, Lionstar, I believe is his last name. And uh, he's playing a, uh, half, ha- a halfling orc, uh, which is, I found was very interesting. Um, and he's playing a, um, geez, Ant, I, I always think you're playing a bard, dude. I don't know why, but he's not playing a bard. I believe he's playing a fighter. I can't, I, I can't. a cleric. Cleric. That's what he's, uh, no, it's, he's doing a multi-class. It's a cleric and something else. I can't actually remember. Um, I think that's everybody, right? No, and then Gregory. Gregory is playing Rigo Libire. Uh, and he is, uh. He's rocking the uh, the wizard, wizard yes. fighter, I believe. It's uh, it's been there's so many characters. So this is something that we actually haven't done. I don't think ever is have six cast members on a show in a GM, and it is it is very uh, interesting to have all those people interacting with one another. But it makes for such cool role playing scenes. It's freaking great. Uh, so much fun, like having them, you know talking with one another and engaging with the world. And you do a really great job at navigating it, James. I think that, um, you know, we frequently, we're not always together in the same scene. And Mm -hmm. so James does a really good job at kind of, you know, leaving off on a cliffhanger with one scene, going back to the two people that are doing something else. And um, I think that is extremely important when you are a DM, GM, whatever, is um, not only just for the players themselves to make them feel like they're included, but especially if you if you have an audience. And I think James does it extremely well. Thank you. And I know that you did an introduction video for the character that uh, Tony is playing. Have you done one for the other characters? So we fell into a snag and everyone got super busy. We were planning on doing uh, all the other ones. We're still working on them, though. Um, Planning on still releasing those uh, just and getting them up on the website and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We just haven't had a lot of time. 
Fair enough. We should do that for Hellgate when when we come back uh, for season. Two Definitely, hundred percent. Be super fun. Oh, to have the skills and talents of Cheyenne Wright. Ah, <laughs> wonderful. Absolutely. Now, uh, it, it's interesting that you've you've kind of set yourself up, Manda, with a character here who um, has one foot in the uh, the like highest of high places in night not night haven that's my city water deep <laughs> <laughs> you have a character who's in kind of the upper stratosphere of water deep but has like rejected that path so in a way there are potentially doors that could be open for your character to go through should the need arise uh but it it seems like from what you've said your character is also very uncomfortable in that world uh, which Waterdeep is definitely a world where there's lots of uh, decadence. There's lots of mm-hmm. abuse of power, of essentially stepping on people's backs to get to the top. Uh, so it, it, it sounds like you'll you'll have a, a a great time exploring the ways in which your character, in which Jade has seen that play out. And, and the ways in which she's rejected it or, or the things that maybe she even feels guilty about because of, you know, people that she knew and loved, uh, family members even, could, could have been involved in stuff like that. Yeah, 100%. And uh, I was actually inspired to create that kind of, uh, that backstory several months ago when I created Jade through there was like a twitter discussion about um does your ttrpg character always have to have a tragic backstory and i i sat back and i thought about it and i thought man every character i've ever had has had you know a, a tragic backstory or something that's kind of um, pushed them to where they are now and i just thought it would be really interesting to start with a character who was born with a silver spoon in their mouth and came from wealth and came you know nothing happened nothing bad happened to them and but Seeing that, um, you know, obviously money doesn't buy happiness and there's more more to life that for a lot of people that grow up in wealth or achieve wealth, that there's still a hollow emptiness inside of them that can only be filled with, uh, well, insert whatever you want there. But in, in Jade's case and, and even like my case as a person, you know, because my characters are always a little bit of me, um, you know, spiritualism. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's an interesting topic to get into because in a lot of ways, that's the hero's journey. Something has disrupted a character's uh, stability to cause them to then go, now I need to forego kind of the comforts of life and go on this journey where I might die in the process but, you know, I need to see something out there beyond kind of the world that I've been living in. And for a lot of characters, uh, I mean, the the prime example of this is someone like Luke Skywalker. He didn't want to leave Tatooine, but then his aunt and uncle were killed. So he then accepts the call that he initially rejected to to go to Alderaan to, to find Princess Leia, all that. And so I feel like that's why a lot of people whether they realize it or not, lean on my character's parents are dead. I suffered some kind of tragedy in, in my character's backstory. 
because you have to find something that'll push them away from the nest. Because if you're comfortable, then there's really no reason to go out there. There's no reason to adventure. So it it's interesting that you've found kind of found your own your own way to uh you know get to that point where your character has decided you know this is not the life that I want I need to go find another life mm-hmm. uh so th- there always has to be something there to push the the character towards the call to adventure so you know I I think you've stumbled upon something cool in that regard thank you absolutely now, a question for uh, for James here. Yes. I've talked a lot about urban adventuring in, in recent episodes. My head has been there. You guys heard me say Nighthaven instead of Waterdeep because <laughs> I've been, you know, writing my Nighthaven setting book. Uh, I've found that the, the style of jamming that works best for me is what I call the watchmaker. You set the gears in place, you set everything in motion, then you let the crank go and let all the gears wind as they will and push the players into that environment and see how they interact with those gears. Now, in an urban setting, I found that the the gears you have to set up to make the world work and to make everyone buy in, you're not talking about a simple machine or a simple watch here. You're talking about like one of those crazy expensive Swiss, Swiss watches. Oddly hard to say, especially when you've had whiskey. Swiss watches. (laughs) Where there's all kinds of different mechanisms all going off at the same time, all interacting with each other. What's that been like for you as the GM trying to set these pieces in place for your your party? So that's I love that question. Um, So when we first started, um, I was doing the... For this type of story, I was trying to make sure that we hit key plot points at certain times. But what I realized while I was setting all that up was they're not always going to be going in these key plot point areas. They're not always going to know 100% where to go. So the the whole watch idea that you described really does um, describe very well how you have to create urban adventures is you have to have multiple different like seeds throughout the city that sprout and grow and grab the interest of the players because trying to like, you know, make a somewhat railroaded story, it's not going to come off as genuine. Um, so having those seeds planted and watching them grow and having the players choose which ones to interact with, um, that all kind of lead to a central plot is what I've ended up having to do with this. And, um, it's been, it's been, honestly, it's been a little difficult, but it has been very eye opening. Um, and like I said, in the the beginning of the show, like this is kind of an experiment for us to like, see how this is going to turn out. And I'm super jacked to like now that this story is like set and we're, you know, getting all the episodes ready to go live and all that stuff. It's going to be awesome, like jumping into well, what happens next and preparing for that and getting that set up because we're coming from such a solid base of like, hey, we know everyone's characters, everyone's interacted with each other. And then we can like push this to the next envelope. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And it's one of those things where you think about a city in real life and, you know, down every street there's some kind of life going on. Some There's there's something to discover, especially in a huge city the way that, you know, Waterdeep is. There's some weird, crazy side thing that you never even thought you'd be wrapped up in down every alleyway, every street. There's something to interact with, which can be crazy daunting for... Uh, a GM, and on top of that, because you have these kind of other forces by necessity operating to influence the the plot in the direction that you're going, a lot of these things have to be somewhat tied into what's going on. Uh, so you have, you know, I, I, and I don't know to what extent you're going to be getting involved in like the gang world of Night Haven, but or again. Night, Waterdeep. <laughs> no problem, man. Waterdeep. To, to what extent you're going to be getting involved in the gang life of Waterdeep, but using that as an example, everything go eventually runs back up to the eye, to Xanathar. Mm -hmm. Everything kind of stops with him as far as the underworld is concerned. So every little move, interaction that your players make in dealing with the gangs, uh, you know will have some kind of impact on what Xanathar's goals are for the city to the point where you could ultimately kind of bring the hammer down upon the party where, uh, all right, you guys have really made him mad. So now these guys with the, the face paint of the eyes all over them, they're, they're not happy with you. Well, and the, and the thing that I wanted to do with this is actually, um, just, I mean, spoilers, but, Xanathar doesn't make a humongous um, appearance in this. It's mostly focused on outside influences influencing uh, Waterdeep and changing the city uh, to their liking and the players uncovering that. Obviously, if they start messing with the wrong people, those gangs and stuff will end up like, you know, coming after people because obviously there always has to be consequences to the actions of the players. Uh, that's one thing that always drove me nuts uh, with some like back in the day when I'd play sometimes. It's, you know, if you don't have any consequences, you just do That's where you get more murder hobos from, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we've talked a lot about the uh, the intricacies of, of GMing in a city environment. And uh, with that, I want to head back over to Amanda here for a second, because you've recently, within the past year, uh, really kind of taken that, that seat behind the screen. Uh, you talked a little bit about running Tyranny of Dragons. Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about your experience GMing. Uh, what has that experience been like for you over the past year? Oh man, it was amazing. I I wasn't sure that I would necessarily like it over being a player, but I I can say I at this point I do think that at least this time in my life, I do like being a GM over a player. Um I waited like 10 years to try even dipping my toes into it because I wanted to make sure that I had as much experience and understanding of the meta as I could. And that's something I've noticed with people that are newer to GMing. 
um, that, sure, they may know the rules, they may know a lot of stuff, but there's like this underlying meta that they don't understand. And so I'm really glad that I waited a long time so that I could have, I had tons of different GMs, played multiple different um, systems, um, different environments, different people. And I was able to just take little bits like from all of my various GMs and be like, I really like this thing that they did, but then I didn't like this thing that they did. So I'm going to do something different. And then, you know, just, I feel like I am the accumulation of all of the GMs that I've had. And with that experience, I feel like I went into, uh, went into it very confident and while well, still nervous though, and strong and, I've had pretty pretty good feedback so far and I and I tell people to be extremely brutally honest with me and you know hopefully they are but um I I don't know there is just something about knowing the story knowing the secrets knowing yep. everything behind the scenes I just I just love knowing knowing it all and being able to provide for these players like for a group in front of me to just be able to provide this awesome experience for them and like be their storyteller and lead them down that path. Like it is, it's really satisfying. Yeah. And, and for anyone out there who's not been behind the screen, uh, this is kind of from, from my personal experience when the GM smiles, it's not just because you're about to get yourself killed. Um, <laughs> In fact, in my case, in, in my experience, it's hardly ever you're about to get yourself killed. I have that expression on my face because I know what you're about to walk into, and I can't wait to see your reaction to it. Be it good, bad, or otherwise, I know what I've got set up. I know, uh, you know, the, the things that I've kind of stacked here against you or in your favor. And the encounter that you're about to walk into, and I can't wait to see how you react to it. And I, I don't know if you've found that's a similar experience. It, it sounds like you're very much kind of relishing that, you know, I know what's behind every door in this dungeon, and I can't wait for you guys to, to kick that door in and see what's going on. Yeah, the anticipation is really exciting, but even when they when the players have kept me on my toes before too, like when they decide to, you know, I think, okay, I've got this whole cave exploration planned out. And then they do like a third of the cave and leave. And I'm like, okay, you know, we're going a different way now. Or, you know, I, I am a person in my normal daily life where I scan a situation and I think of every possible outcome and I try to prepare myself for it. And so same with like GMing. I try to come up with like all the possibilities of what the players might do. And they still surprise me by inevitably doing something way out of left field. And I love not only, you know, keeping them on their toes, but them doing that to me. And just the, the spontaneity of it is, is great. It creates very organic stories when that stuff happens. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's so, it is a, a very like almost like fantastic experience as a GM having your players do do that and like dupe you in a way and be like, ah, you thought we're going to do that thing. We're going to swing over here. And you're like, OK, mm -hmm. let's see how this goes. It's a good time. Yeah, definitely. Now, Amanda, if you could 
either go back in time and tell yourself about to, you know, run your first game or tell anyone out there who's about to run their first game anything that they need to know about GMing uh, just from your first year plus of experience here. What would you tell yourself or anyone out there about to, you know, dip their toes in for the first time? Um, I would say my biggest advice would be for for both of those situations would be to just you know prioritize the players like you know obviously you're there to have fun too um you know but go with the flow and you know go into the mindset that you know sure you're running the show so to speak but you're not god and it's not all about you even though you're like the leader and you know let the players you know, have fun. Don't control too hard. Um, I don't really feel like I did that too much in the beginning, but um, I I see a lot of new GMs do that. And I do, I think at first I was nervous to just kind of go with the flow. I, I was, wanted to make sure everything was structured, but when you just let go of that control and you just go with it and roll with whatever happens, then that inevitably is way more fun. Absolutely. Just to address some of what I'm seeing in chat here, uh, Katie Machen, uh, if you want me to sing on the show, that's one way to do it. Uh, <laughs> Tony, let's talk offline. I have an idea, and I, and I want to run it by you and James, but we'll we won't take up show time uh, with that <laughs> one. But yeah, uh, and then Optimus Subprime Mortgage. That's one way to remind your players who's in charge i wouldn't say that's the best way <laughs> but that's certainly a school of thought <laughs> kind of the the prison method of uh of gming there but yeah oh. it, you could do that <laughs> <laughs> although in one of my campaigns very early on uh, my players did. I, I did commit one of the cardinal sins of GMing on purpose, where my players ran up against a situation that I knew they could not win because I wanted to show them something about uh, the world they were in and and the situation specifically that they were in. I had this was in a Dark Sun game, so uh, without getting in too much into what Dark Sun is my players were guarding this caravan and they had no idea what their cargo was except like any good player would do when they're told you're not allowed to know what you're actually guarding. They snooped around and found out that their only cargo was one single person. It was a like 14 year old boy. <laughs> and uh, they got attacked by this thing called a nightmare beast, which is basically the Tarrasque of Dark Sun. It is a uh, psionically powered giant like manifestation of a nightmare. Giant teeth, giant claws, and it knows like every single spell and it can control minds. It attacks the caravan. It kills a majority of the guards that they're traveling with. And it really devastates the party. And then this 14-year-old boy gets out of the wagon. He stares this thing in the eyes, and they have this, like, mental duel. 
and then ultimately he disintegrates the uh, nightmare beast with a spell. And they realize that what they're carrying around is essentially a very powerful sorcerer in in wow. the, the world of Dark Sun. So doing things that are kind of contrary to what, uh, you know, the GM common knowledge would have you believe uh, you know, shouldn't be done can be effective if you know what you're doing and if ultimately the players have fun with yes. what you do. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. I love that story. It, and after after it happened, one of my players said that was a ballsy move. That, <laughs> yeah. You know, you, yeah. you threw something at us that you knew we couldn't handle. That could have gone terribly wrong, but that was amazing. And that that was one of those moments that made me feel really validated as a as a GM that, you know, that situation could have gone so terribly wrong and could have made everyone upset, but they ended up really loving it. Yeah, I think you handled it really well. So it could have been, it probably, that same idea could have like gone awry, but it sounded like you did a really good job with it. Thank you. Have, let me actually phrase that differently. What moment in your kind of, in your GMing gave you a sense of validation? What Was there a moment from your, your players where you had a particular session that went really well and one of your players gave you a compliment or, you know, what was that kind of moment that made you want to keep going? Um, so my first, uh, my first and main campaign that I had GM'd uh, three of the four players, it was actually their very first time ever playing D&D. And so not only was I running a campaign for the first time, I was actually teaching them how to play for the first time. And so, um, you know, that uh, that campaign is on hiatus right now, but we played for a long time and for many months. And just the fact that not only did they keep wanting to meet up, they kept coming back, but after, you know, time would just escape us and these are people that you know had to get up and go to work at six o'clock in the morning the next day and all of a sudden it's midnight and you know everyone just loses track of time or and when or yeah. when i cut the session and i'm like all right we're done for the for the night and they're like oh you know just all of seeing the those players you know really get into it and knowing that i potentially was part of the reason why now they're into D D was beyond satisfying those those end of session character or player reactions are some of the best it's so yeah. like like you guys last last session oh my god just like oh what's gonna happen <laughs> that that gave, that gave me so much joy like seeing everyone just get so jacked um it's 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 so much fun like you said, Manda, like being a player is super fun, but like having the control and bringing that experience, not not necessarily control, but like being able to move the strings around and bringing that experience to everyone is, is super, super rewarding. Definitely. And one thing that's really kind of kept me from. Uh, 
wanting to like be a player more often kept you know kept me wanting to stay in the GM seat and and a lot of my games. Uh, Harley Stroh and I actually talked about this a couple weeks ago. As a GM, you get to run games for people that you would want to play in. You get to provide, yes, you know that that experience of I really wish a game would go like this, or I wish I could be in a game where something like this happened. And you get to then go, well, why don't I make a game where that happens? Yep. And then you get to see how people would react to those moments that you think uh, would be so awesome in your mind. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We had, um, so uh, during our Chronicles of Kind campaign, this was kind of like the first like long-term campaign I had ever done, uh, let alone streamed. And... Uh, one of the one of my favorite parts of that was we uh, the game was dark, like characters had or characters had died. They had to reroll new characters. Everyone was like sick of the world. They were so just like everything is horrible all the time. And they ended up getting to this new city and they're like, oh, finally, we can like have some chill time. Wasn't super chill. Like stuff was still happening. And then they got to this inn, this tavern. Everyone seemed grumpy. But then uh, Kai's character actually in chat, Bard, he started playing some music and like people were talking to the NPCs and like dancing and having a good time. And like everyone was so filled with joy because they brought light to that city of like just everything sucked in that world. So many bad things were happening. Um, and they got to like bring light and like they're flashing all these like multicolored lights through the tavern and stuff. <laughs> and it was it was so much fun to like just see the players really um, feel like they made an impact on people in a fictional world. Like It, it was so cool. I love those types of moments that you can get in, in these kinds of games because you can't get that in a video game. Right. Yeah, there's this. There's this extra level of it's not just what the programmers put in here. There's whatever, you know, the the minds of the players plus the mind of the GM can come together and create there at the table in in your imagination, uh, you know, as vividly as you can possibly picture something. Uh, that that ultimately is like the big thing that just kind of captured my heart. Uh, when it came to role playing, so I, I don't know if you guys had a, a similar experience there, but being able to just know that you know this wasn't me putting in the right input to the computer to make this thing move forward. This was me coming up with a solution, me working with someone else to create uh, something awesome. That you know, it, it's an experience that we shared with just a few people. And it's our experience. Yes, it's it's like a shared experience. Yep. Callback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it so, was. Uh, it, it's such. I, I feel like GMing has its own like badge of honor, so to speak, of like making these stories and like sh like sharing the stories with with other people. And because it, it creates like you could sit around a fire and and basically be a bard yourself and like share the adventures of the people that you've played with, like around a fire. I don't know how many people oh, would mm -hmm. actually be interested in that, but like I feel I mean, if 
get some people drunk enough to be like, whoa! Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's so cool, like creating these adventures and then having that with you all the time. You have those memories of, of things that don't actually exist, but they feel like they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so many careers, for lack of a better word, in in role-playing. And I'm not talking about people who make role-playing games, although they probably had a moment like this too, but so many role-players are role-players because they had that conversation with someone. Someone told them, hey, I played D&D, here's what happened, here's the situation. And, you know, they they were so kind of enraptured by what that person was saying about, you know, the the situation that their party found themselves in that they go well i want to do something like that you know like the terrasque how do i do this yeah it's 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 so it's so interesting how rpgs work in that way how how even with kind of the technology that we have even with you know critical role being as popular as it is with you know the valor studio shows that we do um so much of role playing is still oral tradition it's still just stories Mm -hmm. passed down from player to player and that's really, I feel like, you know, the the thing that sets the the fire of of role playing love in a lot of people is just those one on one conversations with other people who've played the game. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's in our genes. We've been doing it as humans for thousands of years. The storytelling and just spoken word, and so it's like just a almost like a modern form of that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and when anthropologists. Are, are digging through the rubble thousands of years from now and they pull out a DMG, they'll be like, oh, I wonder what this was. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's a bard? <laughs> what's Thacko? <laughs> Sounds like an energy drink. <laughs> so if the peoples of this as... time and age could cast magic, what is this sorcery? <laughs> They're going to think very highly of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. They could levitate things with their bare hands. <laughs> That'd be interesting if just everything that we thought was like a historical example of a spell book was just like 500 years ago, they were just playing some version of D&D yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It was just it was just a LARP. <laughs> 100 years of war, just a really long LARP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, real into it. Totally. That's so funny. So as we're kind of, you know, reaching the uh, or getting close to the end of our time here, uh, when will people be able to see Red Sky Dark Sun? This Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Time, we'll be going live with the first episode and uh, I'm I'm so excited to be able to share this story with everyone and have our play. Our players are going to try to like be in chat and integrate uh, engaging with everyone. And um, it's been a lot of work and a long time. Uh, I think we've been working on this for five months, six months, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been meeting. All of us have been meeting for months now. Just. Uh, we've done every step of the way together. You know, we've we've built canon bonds, 
things like that. We it's it's one of the most integrated um, setups for a campaign that I've ever been in, and I love it. Awesome. So uh, just to kind of round out the conversation here, and we'll start with Manda. What are you most looking forward to uh, with with this particular uh, campaign here? I. I am most looking forward to. Um, can I pick two small things? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how we all work together. Um, I have played with some of the people in the cast, and some I have not, and I've just recently met. So I'm super. So far, everyone is just we mesh great. Everyone is just so wonderful, um, off and on camera. And so I'm really excited to just see how that all continues to flow. Everyone just has such a great personality. Um, and, and I already, even in just the little bit that we've done so far, I can see so much um, cohesion. And so I'm excited to see how that continues on. Um, and then I'm also uh, really looking forward to seeing how James takes um, Jade's backstory and um, you know, her connection with her noble merchant family and applies it to the story and uh, and and more about, you know, Jade's self-discovery and what what her personal intellectual journey means to her. And I may or may not be experiencing the same thing in my personal life. So I'm like, I, I'm enjoying the parallels between the two. Awesome. And now, James, what are you most looking forward to with Red Sky Dark Sun? I'm most looking forward to the players getting to know all of these NPCs that they've created and getting to actually interact with them, like Jade interacting with her family, actually getting to know, like, what is her sister like? Like, what's her brother like? And also getting to experience all the changes and the shifts within Waterdeep that will be happening throughout the course of uh, these 10 episodes. That's my awesome. I'm so jacked to just see their express expressions and uh, see what they're going to do about the things that are that are going down the pipelines. Awesome. So for everyone watching here live uh, Wednesday, uh, we'll be going live with the first episode of Red Sky Dark Sun, and that'll be on uh, Vouch Studios YouTube page, correct? YouTube page, and uh, it'll, it'll be streamed first to the Twitch page, and then we should have it up to YouTube roughly about, I would say, like Friday uh, that same week. So this week, Friday, should be up on YouTube. Awesome. So definitely tune in for that. And for anyone watching this on YouTube, uh, it should be available on the same page that you're watching this, uh, you know, Valor Studios on YouTube, or you can watch it on Twitch uh, with the with the VODs if you prefer to do it that way. Uh, so definitely check out Tales of Valor, Red Sky, Dark Sun uh, here from Valor Studios, where we love sharing our uh, our creations with the tabletop role playing world. So uh, just to kind of wrap things up here, and again, we'll start with Manda. Where can people find you online if they want to interact with, uh, you know, everything that you've got going on? Well, 
I'm generally hard to find online nowadays, so I would definitely okay. direct people to uh, Valora Studios Discord. Discord's pretty much the only social media that I'm using right now. Um, and But definitely follow Valora Studios on every single... on Twitter and YouTube so you can see all the content and keep up to date with what's going on. Um, but right now I am just on Discord, so when you go to Valora Studios Discord, you'll see me in there in the cast members, and you can send me a friend request excuse me and chat with me that way um and then watch our show on wednesday night and that's about it i'm keeping a low profile oh and uh james i know the the usual places we uh we talk about but just as a reminder where can people find you online you can find me at osirian legacy uh on twitter you can find me on I believe PlayStation. If you have, if you have a PlayStation Five, you can find me at Osirian Legacy on there as well, um, and pretty much any kind of like gaming platforms. Osirian Legacy. I'll, I'll pop it in chat here real quick, and uh, yeah. And then you can find us at Valor Studios on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, uh, Instagram, TikTok, pretty much anywhere. Awesome. Cool. So that is going to do it for tonight's episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us this evening. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Uh, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I can catch it live, but I'll definitely watch it after the fact if I can't. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what you guys do here. To uh, let everyone know what's coming up next week, uh, Luau Lu is going to be returning to Roland Bones. He has a uh, a brand new Kickstarter campaign, another... Uh, classics mutated adventure that we're going to be talking about and then the week after that uh we are going to have a very very special episode of rolling bones not one without a laugh track where we talk about hard issues that teenagers are facing a different kind of very special episode a crossover where hanker and fernell and professor dungeon master are going to be on my show together first time they've done that Anywhere on the internet will be right here on Rolling Bones. So tune in next week for Luau Lu and the week after that for Professor Dungeon Master and Hanker Infernal. I'm looking forward to both. I hope you guys are too. And so until then, uh, you know, remember to uh, like this uh, on YouTube. Send the link to everyone that you know. Subscribe here on Twitch if you haven't already. And if you really like what you see, join us on the Valor Studios Discord. Uh, you know, join us on Twitter or, uh, you know, go to ValorStudios.com to see what's going on in the world of Valor Studios. And uh, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and with us at Valor Studios. And I will see you guys next time. <laughs>